3: Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield and this is a bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Now as ever, let's begin by banging these bongos. Yeah, right. <laughs> Crazy Welcome to this bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. And before I introduce you to this week's guest, I should make you aware that the Ministry of Arts has now got a merch shop where you can buy t shirts, hoodies, tote bags, with 100% of the proceeds going back into the podcast. And to find those said items, if you go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile, you'll find a link tree drop down box and that'll direct you straight to their merch shop. Well, for today's episode, I spoke to Steve Bannertine. He's either a painter, a sculptor, or a collage maker, or a bit of all three. Now, I should mention, as a sort of trigger warning, in this episode, we do speak of death, bereavement, and attempted suicide. Although, (laughs) I should also state... From the darkness, there is light because it has got a very happy ending. But I just needed to make you aware of those facts just in case you've been affected by that in the past yourself. And that said, please come with me and listen to this beautiful story told to us by Steve Valentine. That's a
1: it's good backdrop me. you've got there, Steve. Yeah, this is um, part of my show in September. So this is one one wall of many. I've got 71 pieces that I'm showing. Nice. Producing a lot the last eight months. So things have sort of just taken off um, after 20 years of, well, you can understand what it's like. (laughs) Oh, of course. So
3: I've got a list of of several questions. Um, The first being, how would you explain what you do to someone that may not know your work?
1: I think the best way to describe it is, um, well, I'm <laughs> I'm like a Womble. I tend to collect a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, it all relates back to my childhood and my growing up and my learning of, of art, where I would work with nothing virtually. Yeah. Um, so I started collecting waste that I liked, waste timber. Um, and it, be, it's about colour and patina. So that would, that would form the basis of a piece of work. Um, I like to... It's, it's difficult. I work in many different ways, so sculpture and, and wall relief, but in a nutshell, um, I use waste material for shape, great shapes. I play with the colour. The closest you could link it to in terms of a movement would be constructivism, perhaps. i heavily influenced by Russian constructivism and by British modernism, so from the earlier days. And it's a dive set. That's where I, I found, found my work. So it is, a, it is abstract. Um but also I've got a training as a graphic designer. So there's all these different elements that come into it. And as I said to you earlier, I produce so much work. So many different threads that I work through. So it's actually difficult to pin down um, what, what I do. Every day seems, seems different. And, and the show I'm about to put on this, has three elements to it. And they're all different. Um, but they all basically start with waste. So I basically thrive off the remains of consumerism. So things that have been discarded and shoved away become my 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 palettes and my canvases
3: just before we started recording you did mention where you get your wood from your found objects if you like tell us a little bit about that
1: so i used to um skip surf um but about six six seven years ago um i joined an organization called the brighton wood recycling project and it's an environmental protection charity with some social aims as well. And we essentially go to building sites and we charge people to take away waste timber that is destined for landfill and incineration. And we then recycle that into the uh, consumer network and we resell it to the public and to trade. But we also use it to make furniture um, for commercial customers. So we do cafe types and things like that. And I get the vast majority of my timber now from our waste bin. Uh, stuff, stuff that we can't use we really can't use it has to then be threaded um i take the very very raw rough damaged stuff when i turn it into into artwork so it's it's, it's trying to keep it circular so yeah. 25 years ago when we started as an organization we were we would do the circular economy before the word the phrase had been invented um so we work with a team of volunteers to do all of the furniture and it's a fantastic project and there's now 30 of them across the uk brilliant Brilliant. And I'm, I'm terrible, I take up everything. I'm, I'm a real real hoarder. <laughs> so I, I've gotta try and work on. It.
3: Did you have any creativity in the home state?
1: When I was a child, yeah. Not at all. No. I, I grew up in quite an awful, my background was awful. I've got more information we can talk about that. But um, no, so I had a very narcissistic mother. My parents divorced when I was 18 months, and my mum then remarried an abusive alcoholic. So there was no creativity. Yeah. It was more wow. about it was more about survival mode. More of a
3: struggle. I was gonna say more of a struggle, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't nice. I grew up in East Belfast and right in the troubles, and there was a lot of violence, a lot of a lot of death, a lot of murders. Um, and you see on a daily basis. Um, so I grew up with that. and my creativity started, well, my my introduction was was through doing my art GCSEs. he's had a wonderful teacher. Um, and I was the only student, I think, that took it seriously and really enjoyed it. And I'd let something in me. But, you know, I'd bring my work home and I'd get no feedback. I'd, no, I'd get no support from my family, my parents. So it was very, very difficult. So, you know, you're you're kind of rudderless a little bit. If, you're, if your parents aren't there supporting you or not on your side, then it's very, very difficult. So yeah. You can wreck your creativity. So, yeah, like a lot of kids in Belfast, I was sort of running around trying not to, you know, to get beaten up or, you know, try to work out what we're going to do. And, you know, I left, I left Belfast when I was 16 in the end um, to get away from my family, the stepfather of mine, and I also got in some trouble with the paramilitaries. And I also um, realised... Yeah, well,
3: that wasn't hard to do at that point, though, was it?
1: Oh, it was really easy. Oh, and I was... So the, the problem I had is that my mum felt that all of our issues, all the family issues were down to me and my brother, but it wasn't. We were actually the the, the sum of all of their work, and their parenting skills were were not there. So I rebelled, um, like a lot of my friends. So we went out and we did lots of silly things. I was... I was taking drugs at twelve. I was drinking at twelve, and I'm, I'm not talking, you know, the odd beer. I was every night, um, and we were doing all sorts of get the money for it. It wasn't, it wasn't good. And you start messing around, you have antisocial social behaviour. Um, there's nothing for kids to do when I was yeah. growing up, you know. Um, it was, it was. You just wander the streets, so we got in quite a lot of trouble. I got picked up a few times by the police, and of course, you know, that was all put on to me. But you know, it was, it was more about. Uh, discipline, 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 but no communication. So I'm very different with my children, and it's all open communication. We talk about drinking drugs, and, you know, we've got a great life, but um, I got beaten down, quite heavily as a child. And when I when I left, um, to me, misogyny um, and abusive behavior was normal family life. Yeah. I had to quickly, quickly unlearn all of that. So, yeah, I bailed out when I was 16. I had five in my pocket. I landed in, in um, Exeter. And I did um, my A levels and my art and my art and design foundation, so the three years that a lot of art students will do. I made contact with my my father, but I had to I had to find a place to live. So I was living in a bedsit, I was stacking shelves while putting myself through through college, um, surviving on barely anything. Um, what but year, Steve? Oh God, I uh, 1995. I got into St Martin's, so it was early nineties, very yet. early nineties um when I when I did all of that. Um but it's sort of, you know, it, it it's a journey I had to go on. Um as that my brother stayed and he went did a creative degree but didn't use it. Um, so yeah I spent three years with actual college and I met an amazing teacher called Jim Kennedy, who was very alternative in his in his thoughts. Um, and he introduced me to Russian constructivism and I ate that up. So Falan yeah. Lukashenko and Pop all of these greats and it really, 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 really fared my creativity. And next college every year put people up to get into St. Martin's, and nobody was getting in. The year that I got in, two of us got in. <laughs> and I think that was all down to Jim and how he steered us. Yeah. I just I had this ball of energy in my tummy the whole time. I loved it. I, I thrived on it. And I think that offset all the negativity because I was where I wanted to be. Um, and I've always been quite prolific in my creation and my outputs. So when I went to the interview, it was that was phenomenal. Really, really great change in my life. Um, but the week of my degree show, my um, my dad, who had been in contact with, decided to disappear again. So he, oh, he was medical class my degree show, and I was waiting for him, and I phoned him and nothing. And he'd basically packed up and left. So he'd moved and disappeared. So, you know, I had that to contend with um, at the same time. But then my brother was there, and it was great with his So it was really nice to make connections him because when I left, he was left on his own. But I couldn't stay there anymore, but he was a bit closer to my mum, I suppose. So, um, so yeah, my brother and I both find creative and we actually, we love talking to each other about photography and I collect photographic books now, buy them up left, right and center, huge influence for me. And we would talk for hours um, and we did actually have to plan to work together. Um, but then he had a heart attack and died. He was, he was 39. Oh, wow. Sorry. Yeah, No, no. And well, it gets worse because (laughs) this is a, it was an unpleasant story, but he was, um, he was 39, two months off his 40th birthday, and he went out for a run, and had a heart attack, and died. Uh, it turned out he had a genetic condition that um, was in our family, and my dad knew about his condition, and didn't tell anybody.
3: Oh, wow. None of
1: us, none of us got screened, um, so I've got a half-brother, who also had a heart attack, and nearly died, but he was he was um, playing football, and there was paramedics that were able to revive him. So had he told us um, we could have all got screened. My brother could have gone on to lifelong medication. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to run anymore, but he would have been alive. So you know, it's probably double dual narcissist parents here. Um, we didn't really want to think about anybody but themselves. So yeah, he died when he was thirty-nine, and um, you know, it was it was such a shock, such a shock. Yeah. Um, and what that did is it forced me. In. I went and got checked, and it but it forced me into ultra running. <laughs> so I started running. And the, the very the two years after he passed away, I ran eight ultra um, yeah. and you know it, it was a way of coping with what had happened, you know, going through that. So I've gone And Did the you get No. Oh, good? No. I go every three years to get scanned, but I'm at the age now where I won't show up because if I've got it, then my kids might have it. Yeah. So um, I've gone so many. I've had so many ECGs, echocardiograms. You know, I should do some work around that. But I, yeah, I've, I've, I've been really, really safe with my, with my heart. I'm, I'm lucky. But, um, yeah, I miss him. I miss him a lot. He was like my right arm. Um, and it, it's very sad that you know, that could have been avoided. Um, but you know, this is, this is, this is life. It's human nature to be um, awful to people sometimes, isn't it?
3: Got like when you're creating artwork, when you're running, and as you can see, this isn't from experience, <laughs> <laughs> but you have to put yourself in a mental zone, don't you? Take yourself 100%. away from, yeah. from the You do,
1: uh, you do. And, and I run talks, so I run long distance with friends, and we, we run at slow pace and we chat and we, you know, we set the world to rights. So I've, you know, I, I live in a lovely community, but um, like a lot of communities, you get men that don't want to talk issues and problems and we go on these runs and we'll open up and talk and it's it's actually really quite nice when you come back and you've got the energy from the run but also the mental health side of it is is great so I'm a big advocate for mental health and um supporting charities to support um people struggling with their mental health so it's something I'd like to do longer term um, if my art career takes off and want to have a bit more influence then I'd like to be able to work on that I've had my own battles like many people with with mental health, success with their lives and their happiness, you know. Um, but I, you know, two years ago I got to the point where I couldn't have been any happier. Yeah. You know, so I I met my partner Naomi about 19 years ago. And um, she was this giant of a woman. She was amazing, just you know, she took me from this person who's quite rudderless and she should have helped my my development. Um through um, into into an artist and um, I had a a really difficult time it was yeah it was a couple of years ago and it was well it was lockdown and the organization I was working for was really struggling we had a lot of staff go and I was working 60 hours a week doing all these different jobs that people had had sort of gone (laughs) yeah and I I didn't realize that I was really pushing myself quite hard and I started to crack Um, I stopped creating anything I wasn't doing any artwork at all. Um, you know, I was at the house for hours and hours at a time. I worked from eight till eight um, regularly, and I didn't realize, but I was starting to to break down mentally. And I actually planned to kill myself without really understanding that I could talk to people about yeah. it. So I I devised. It. I'm quite a practical person. I make a lot of things with my hands, and I devised the plan. Uh, to do it, and um, I knew I'd be successful, and it was just a case of taking the time. Um, but it was funny because when you're in that state, you don't think about your kids, you don't think yeah. about your partner, you don't, think about it. you don't think about anything. You're you're acting really irrationally. So anyway, I gathered all my and needed it together, um, I locked the door, and I was getting ready. And I have my headphones in all the time when I'm at work. So I'm working on making something. It's a good distraction, and. You know, I was feeling quite happy. I was feeling quite relaxed. This sort of weird feeling came over me. And I thought, I felt relief. So I, I started the process and this track came on in my ear. And it was a, a track called um, Song of the Seven. Uh, it's from Game of Thrones. And now this song, my son played two weeks previously on his piano. He's very, very talented. He can listen to songs and play it. And I cried when he played it. We both cried when he played it. I had to leave his room. And all of a sudden, the storm comes on, and I'm just crying my eyes out. And I'm looking at what I'm what I'm about to do, and I go, you know what? <laughs> I'm catch myself on, and I step back from everything, and I thought, this is this is wrong. This is I should not be doing this. Anyway, two weeks later, I was under the um, supervision of the Eastbourne um, mental health team for the check in every day. Nami found out what was going on, and it it really really upset her um, but she, that week she cancelled all of her work for the summer and she declared it the summer of Steve and we spent eight weeks just focusing, focusing on me and what I wanted to do but seriously I spent two weeks lying on the sofa unable to move I was on antidepressants um, sleeping pills and we were trying for types I really really struggled um, and we cried and we talked um, and it was great and she sort of pulled me back from the brink went back to work two months later and Naomi was like right we're going to change our lives now if you want to be creative, she's right she was writing a book at the time, so we both decided to go part time. We reduced all of our outgoings. We worked really hard at that, and we just got by. So I worked three days a week. She worked three, roughly. All I wanted to do was to create and find that that warm gut feeling of of, of creativity that I can that I thrive off. And then he said, "Why don't you do an Open House? Why don't you do Artways?" And ArtWave was it was one hundred and sixty artists when I did it, one hundred and eighty this year. And it goes along the coast through Lewis, etc cetera. And you open your house and people come around and buy your artwork. So I put fifteen pieces up. I sold fifteen pieces. It was insane. I sold my entire show. And that really validated everything. It validated yeah. all the crap I'd been through. Because actually I had some success. And when people were hearing that I'd sold everything, they were like, That's that's crazy. That doesn't generally happen. Um <laughs> So I came through, and I had this high, this unbelievable high, and I just kept creating, creating, creating. Um, Nemi was writing her book, and life was—it was sweet. You know, I, I'd come through this risk of, you know, suicide, and I'd self-harmed before, but this was the final one. But I came through. I had the counselling, came off the pills, and I was happy, and I was a better dad. I was so focused on my kids. They were saying when I was producing, they were getting enthusiastic and they were learning and it was just a fantastic time in my life. Um, now, if I can just pause
3: it there again, Steve, yeah. there's, a, there's a little gap in the story somewhere Yeah. that I'd just like to fill in before we come back to, to that.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
3: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Point. So you've done your graphic design degree.
1: Yep. Yeah.
3: When did... The creating your own work come into that.
1: So I ended up working full time in a regular job, and then creativity became part time. Then I met Nemi, um and we started our life our life together, um, and she actually opened my eyes up to different ways of, of thinking. So you know, I was I was sort of working just to survive, which wasn't really quite right. Um, so we had we had two kids, and my life sort of you know sort of switched up. So like a lot of students, you come out, it's hard. Nobody prepares you for it. So you know, we 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 moved in together um in London. We bought a house together eventually. And then eleven years ago we moved down to Sussex. Nice. And I started uh, working with environmental businesses um and and then started really focusing on the creative, the 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 artist side. So friends of were starting to refer to me as an artist. One one friend came around and someone said, Look, you're an artist. It doesn't matter you have to work part-time or full-time for other people. You are, at your core, an artist. And that one conversation actually really made me think. So, like a lot of people, I was rudderless for quite a while after university, in a yeah, nutshell. you course. know. So fast forward, did Artwave, really happy, came out of it. Um, life was near perfect, near perfect. I was earning money from my artwork, really nice. Then one morning we woke up and everything changed. Um, Nami was sick one morning, very sick. After her breakfast, and phoned the GP. We week yeah. later, she had a colonoscopy. A week after that, she was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer. Oh, for fuck's so sake! So I had I had this 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 life, and things were after twenty years of practicing and struggling, and you know mental health fights and learning to be a dad. My life settled, and I was like, "Find it. I'm here. This is nirvana." Yeah. So I then had to you know cut back on my work and start caring for her. Um And at every meeting we went to, they took they took hope away from us. We went to the, the third meeting at the our CT scan, and her liver was riddled with lesions. And at that point, they said, you know, "You've maybe got six months." Uh, no, went to when another... was this, Steve? Sorry, this was uh, this was just after our wave, Everything started to happen. So we're we're about a, we're about a, you know we're we're into our first we're into about a year of of all of this happening. I'm not actually very good with dates. Um but when time was time roughly but... from today. Um so uh, the whole thing started about 5 months ago.
3: Oh 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 wow.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So no no it's fine. Um yeah because it was it was a blur really. So um in the end it was it was it was um yeah it passed so quickly. You had the final meeting and we sat there and her liver clearly wasn't working. And she was struggling to walk. Her eyes had gone. They yeah, do, they, they're cheering. Yeah, yeah. Her legs had swollen, her stomach had swollen. She had 17 litres of fluid in her stomach alone. Um, she was losing weight. Um, and the specialist came in and he had a look at her tummy again. And he said, I can give you three weeks. And she lasted three weeks and four days. It was tough. But I have to be clear on, on, on this. I've had a lot to deal with as a young man. And when we when we had the diagnosis, um, we actually had a very practical conversation. Naomi's is a very practical person, and she said to me, "We're going to organise our financials. We're going to do X, Y, Z. We've had all this planning uh, to do." And she says, um, "I want to get married." So we got married. It was more of a she wanted to sort of like we've we've had our we've had our life together. Now it's time to say thank you and goodbye. Yeah, That's yeah. what it was.
3: What a person she was! Uh,
1: so she touched many people's lives, and when people found out about it, there was just this outpouring of grief. People were coming around and just crying. Her men crying in the street to me because she was so popular within the village. She was very kind, very generous person. Um, so we had this this whole conversation, and um, she planned how she wanted to pass. She didn't want any any interference, and we put all of this into, into action. Um, she was in hospice for three weeks, so I was going to the hospice and, you know, I would stay over. And she was, you know, she was gradually declining, but she wasn't in any discomfort. Um, her, her decline was two days before she passed. And um, she passed happily uh, how she wanted to. Yeah. Um, and the boys from the get-go, we told them what was going on. We were honest with the boys because that's how we are as parents. We communicate, communicate, communicate. Can I
3: ask
1: how the, she... the boys were? Well? <laughs> They're now 13 and 16. Oh wow! Um and Finley is was mid mid GCSEs when she died, and he went in and did his English. And oh he man! Wow! He went in. His, one of his one of her dying wishes was that he, would do his GCSEs, and he. I told him Sunday morning she passed away. Monday morning at nine o'clock, he was sitting down to do his English GCSE. I didn't cry at that
3: point. Sorry, Steve. And when was that? Uh,
1: that was uh, June, Friday, Good. June. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He's um,
3: definitely got a bit of his mum's genes in him, hasn't he? That's for sure. Yeah, he's,
1: I think he's a good combination. So both both my boys are very silency, like their mum. And they've got creative elements, like their dad. Um, they're both really well-adjusted, wonderful boys. Um, they've been a massive support to me. But Naomi and I had all the conversations around funeral, about moving on, about future life. She said, it's really important that you are happy. she knew if, I'm happy, if I'm happy, my kids are happy. So I live for my children, um, and I'm transitioning now more from regular work to being an artist on a full-time basis, and that's all because of her. Like The 71 pieces I have in my show would not exist without her. That's part of her legacy. Her book we're publishing at the end of the year, maybe every, early next year, will go into prints. Um, we raise money to do that um, as another legacy for, for her. She's a phenomenal writer. We came through it and actually... I have to say I'm okay. You know, I've had my counselling. It was more of a shock when my brother died because it was so sudden. Yeah. And I mean, I had, we had a great last eight weeks. We had a lot of fun. Every day was great. You know, we cooked, we ate as much as she could. Um, mm-hmm. We got out as much as we could. Um, and she went on her terms. And she was very specific about my happiness and the boy's happiness. And she was like, "I want you to to to, to move on. I want you to have this amazing life." Um And I have got an amazing life. I'm actually in quite a good place. I've got my I boys. I've got my deserve home. Deserve
3: it, Steve. If you don't mind me
1: saying. Well, I think you know we all have different lives to lead, and you know you, it's like it's like playing poker. You get it. You get You get you get a you get a hand. You got to play that hand. You know, and I, I'm not one for folding, so I'll go, go on. <laughs> and, <laughs> good so, on. but what what? There's no point in me just lying around, like say, on the sofa crying about it. Yeah, it's not going to make the situation done, any better, is it? Uh, no, and I've done. I've done. I've gotten through the worst of it, and every day is is not not easier. It's a different. But I know that she'd be immensely proud right now of me and the boys. Um, I know that she's around in some way. She's an amazing person. Full stop. There's no. There's nobody else like her. I'm not just saying that she has died. It's a common theme when you speak to people. I'm a lucky man. I may never have met her. I may may end up with some crazy, (laughs) crazy person. Really sensible, mature. Yeah, yeah, she did. She she got the short end. She got the short end. Um, All in all, um, I've come through the worst of it. Um, I feel stronger. And that's only going to reflect in my artwork. And some of the artwork on display here was created while she was in the hospice. Uh, right. in, in my note, in my notebook, and actually it's quite interesting to see those artworks in comparison to others, you know, it's funny grief, grief tells these funny things to you, but it brought out a lot of kind of thinking and yeah, have been and
3: creative I would, recently
1: 100 I haven't stopped so yeah. I did this, dual, I did this dual focus thing, initially early days when she died where I would focus on the grief, I'd let it kick my ass, yeah. and rip me to pieces, you know, and little things like when you've got to move her hand by or you've got to inform people, yeah. you've got to yeah. driver's license all that stuff that people don't tell you about horrific i would spend half a day just dealing with that and grieving and crying then i would spend the rest of my time creating um and actually worked really well so i'd have these sorrowful moments where i could reconcile and think about that but then these amazing creative moments and it literally the artwork just came flying out of me so i, would go, I could work on five pieces at once um they're all very similar in, in a set um, and it used sometimes to sometimes take two months to do a piece of work. But then I would produce, in two yeah. days, i will have five pieces done. It already worked really well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing yeah. Nemi encouraged me to do after ArtWave is to build my own studio, which I've done. So I've built my own studio from scratch in the garden. Um, Where so, did you get the wood from? Cool. <laughs> so 80, 80% of it. This, this is a good case study. So 80% of the timber is reclaimed. Brilliant. Um, I've used no concrete. I've got ground screws. So there's zero impact when it comes out. Yeah, um, It took me nearly a year because I had to wait for the right materials to come in. Of course. Of course. Um, but I've built it to look like it's not reclaimed. So yeah. I'm, opening it up for, I'm opening it up for the show. So I've got three spaces for my artwork exhibition. I'm going to let people into my studio, which to be honest, I don't want to do because of my private space. But actually, um, why not? Why not? This, yeah. you know, I, I tend to be quite open about most things. So while I've built my bloody studio. And how many pieces have you got to put into that? In total, I've got 71. Pieces of work. and that might sound like a lot but what i'm doing this year is I'm, I'm having one room just full of prep work so my studies are going in um i want the people to see my my thought processes so i've got i've got notebook pages in there i've got some prints So in my studio i've got about 10 pieces in my studio big pieces and then the rest i've got a big kitchen diner it's all in there and then my living room um so it could be a massive show i've got you know it's four times the size of the show i did first time around I'd take a lot of advice on pricing. This is a common artist's concern. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. hate pricing. So I've had other artists and I've had people who buy art for a living come in and look at it. And I'll be like so much money. It's it's crazy. Um yeah so I'm working on the square inch pricing now which is which is crazy. But um <laughs> yeah so you people there's a square inch pricing. So I've got one piece valued by somebody in the know who's an active buyer. And I've just extrapolated that, so yeah, I've had fun pricing everything. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's nice. Um, it's nice because I'm not underselling myself. You know, what I mean, it feels and like. It. Could uh, I ask what your
3: prices range from and to roughly? Okay, so
1: the cheapest piece I will have on on set, apart from prints, um, the cheapest piece of artwork is 130 pounds, and that's about A4, and that's a that's a wall relief, small wall relief collage. Is that like and, those behind um, you? No, these ones here. So the little ones you can see. Um, Sunrise and Sunset, they're landscapes. Those those two are um, I haven't priced them yet, but they're around about 250, 300 yeah. um, the ones above, I've just sold one of those, um, and they're the 400 pound mark. Nice. Um, so they they seem to work. So 130.
3: Just d- got, you've sorry. mentioned some sorry, you've mentioned sunrise and sunset that yeah. are behind you. Yeah. Obviously, this is audio that people
1: won't be able to see. Could you yeah, just yeah.
3: describe those two artworks?
1: So the artworks you see on the back are all um, from my running trips. So I'm obviously taking lots of pictures. I've got a running Instagram account and I'm always posting landscapes. So what I do is I I will take a picture, I will pull it into procreate and I will take shapes and lines from that picture. I then use um, old plywood, which I then cut with a jigsaw. Um, So these are um, two hills near where I I live and you've got the sunset and the colors from the sunset and the arches. Are about the, the hills and the curves um and they're really really simple there's only four elements in each one um but they just sort of resonated so they've come from little line drawings we'll create where i've extrapolated and filled around mm-hmm. with the, the shapes so um one is the sun coming up and one is the sun coming down and they're part of a set there brilliant um and the coloring is all sort of guts Yeah, you know it comes from my graphic design background I
3: and the, the color tone that you use, it does feel sort of like a from the industrial era. It's got a yeah,
1: there's a, constructivism a muted in there.
3: Gray tones from the I love gray. I love grays.
1: So I, I I pretty much have lots of grays and, and deep blues, and then I have to use sort of acid yellows, oranges, um, crazy pinks, um, reds as well. Um, the other one there, that little one beside me, those two are my favorites. But I've got some and ball paints in there because I had it. And the color seems to work. Yeah, um, you know. So I think the color is one of the strongest things about my my work. Um, but it, it seems to come naturally. I don't know. It's just when you're laying out something for you know in two D design colors, when you do it for so long and you're working with it, it seems to come naturally. Um, but don't get me wrong. You know, there could be there could be two weeks worth of work in both of those. You know, um, on a part time basis. It's not quick. You can't see the detail, so I've etched into quite into them with mark making tools. So there's there's grass, um, straw, um, and I've tried to create texture in, in the timber. To they make they look extra. cracking
3: up on the wall, even in even in in group like that. Did you purposely put those up in that order?
1: Yeah, they're in a group. They're a set. Um, actually, there. There's, there's nice. more. So that blue, that blue one is sold. So I've got a set, and there's one more to go in that gap. That actually is. Um, it'll be a. Um, it'll be dedicated to Naomi. I'm working on it now. I'm hoping to get it finished. But the other side, I've got a lot more. I've got. I have built. I build flints. I've got um one two three four. I've got eight flints. I've got sculpture I'll try and turn you around So I've got my. Well, excuse my son's weight bench. So I've got sculptures That's as well. So all of these are um, natural sculptures. Um I've got these two. Let me try and see themselves. I've got these two big bellas here. Which, I saw uh, those in the drawers. Yes. They're so they're, they're, proving, they're proving they're proving quite popular. Yeah. Um they'll probably be two of the more expensive pieces that go in the show. There's a lot of interest in those. Um so I'll have to, I'll have to see. Because the the ones above you there are in a
3: in a uh, it looks like a, a small tray frame. Yeah, I've had,
1: to, I've had I've had the frame Some of them, some of them need a frame, and some don't. But
3: they work, yeah, they work. Yeah. I think they work better with the frame. But the the sunsets yeah. there and the sunrise, they work well without it. That's for sure. And that yeah. that gray like, one looks really good.
1: I've colored, I've colored, I've colored all the way around. Um, so I think that the, the frames are just like a gut instinct, really. Um, yeah. Some of them were over, over. Some of the bigger ones, the other side overspill the canvas, so I can't frame them.
3: Because I saw that on, um, on one of your sculptures. It was like a condensed cityscape, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, so they're whole set. And they're based on a project called Picking Up Sticks, where I was literally picking up sticks. Um, it's like a New York um, cityscape. Yeah. So they're, they're all really rare hardwoods that, that I find um, that, are, that are discarded. The thing is, you can't really get hardwoods that easily anymore. No. chop all the trees down. Um, and I thought about, when I was doing this project i thought about you know 1930s 40s and 50s sort of american landscapes cityscapes, and you know how, how all of this timber mold to, to build these buildings and to fit these buildings up but all i can find now are little bits of stick so i created I think, <laughs> four four cityscapes out of that out of what i had and i've done some wall relief ones as well which are all going in the show so yeah i've I really enjoy making those, and again, they're proving quite popular. But I I sand all the timber down, I wax it, I oil it, I do it to a high a high standard. Um, and they've got yeah, I suppose you could look at some constructor's work, and maybe maybe find influence there as well. So have you heard of Margaret Mellis? No. So she was a bit of a mentor to Damien Hirst, and she's one of the, he's really underrated. She passed away now. Margaret Mellis um, was one of the first artists to move down to St. Dives with her husband Adrian Stokes. So she was friends with um, Hepworth and Nicholson, hugely influential to me, and she worked in the same way. So her studio in Suffolk was essentially a big pile of timber and lots of things lying on the floor. And she'd walk in there and move something and walk out and move it again. And it would take months to sort of build something up. Um, but she worked with driftwood and colourful driftwood. And when I saw her work, I was like, yeah. Yeah. it makes a lot of sense. So um, I did my my art wave show last year, and this chap came in, and we were chatting. And he said, oh, you, you. I did some driftwood. And he said, oh, my, my, my cousin was a driftwood artist. And I was like, how do we go? There's loads of driftwood artists. And he said, oh, have you heard of her? Margaret Millis. And I'm like, I, nearly, I nearly fell over. So he was living up the road. Her cousin really was living up the road. And, he, and he, he said to me, I've got some broad work. Come up and see. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, he bought one of my pieces. Um, and he's hung it up. And he had a watercolor she'd done when she was 13. So he invited me up for a cup of tea and uh, had a look at it. It's just crazy that connection. And some of the money I made from my show, I bought some of her postcards and letters wow. um, on a, a catalogue. She did exhibit in the Timer um, quite a while ago, and I missed that. But um, she's really underrated, great female, female artist. Um, I rate her above many of her contemporaries. Um, and I really wish I'd got the chance sort of to, to, to meet her. But, you know, Damien Hurst seemed to like her and get on with her. And they yeah, did, yeah. I think they, they, they did a book together. Got yeah, you. Yeah.
3: Well, that in mind, at. Steve, um, the questions that I do have that went out the window within about five minutes, <laughs> um, uh, one of the questions that I do have is, if there was you and five other artists, past and present, what yep. would your ideal group show be?
1: Well, the work wouldn't all work together. I've got Hepworth. Um, I saw her at Heiner, another icon. I have got William Eggleston. I have met him. And I've got it in my hands um, a first edition I got signed when he was over in London. Nice. Um, he, he got me thinking about old materials and, and things and, and the, the lovely Americana signage, all of the old tooties, take pictures of, really enthusiastically got me going. So, Barbara, obviously, Margaret Mellis, without a doubt, um, and um, Robert Rauschenberg. I've had oh, a lot nice. of. Yeah. So I love And if you look at his work, and you can see there's elements of mine of sort of come from him. So that's four. got four? Yeah. Um, And then the last one, it's going to be Ben Nicholson. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've got um, more of his books as well. Um, So that, to be honest, I can give you 50.
3: (laughs) Of course. And these five will possibly change tomorrow if I ask. They they
1: could change tomorrow but actually Margaret Mellis is the one consistent individual that will be in there and one day I hope to find a piece of her work, the wall relief work and, and buy it and keep it. And actually this year, um, when Nemi passed away, I vowed I would only buy female artwork for the next sort of two years. I can buy lo- local artwork from female artists and that's going to go into my living room. as a nice little step, sort of in, on- in honour of her memory. Yeah, of course. You know, that's my top five. And
3: what would you do if you
1: wasn't an artist, Steve? I'd be lying on a park bench. <laughs> 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 yeah. At this rate um (laughs) i'd be doing something really boring i'd be a drone i think um no i've got to be fair myself okay so um i've got a lot of interests i love building furniture i do build furniture i do i do do the odd commission i build sideboards for people no i um i've done that for quite a while i do quite a few commissions so i'd be a carpenter
3: and if anyone wants to see what you're doing steven what you've got coming up yeah um how can they find you be it website or social media
1: so i only use instagram so it's um steve dot um and uh, my website is steve um i've got a very simple website and i keep i keep it updated quite regularly using my 16 year old son on driving <laughs> um so yeah it's just instagram steve and it's steve um and actually, for the Artway Festival, um, people can sort of Google that. It's the local festival. Um, there is a, a brochure, right? 180 local artists. There's um, some great trails, some phenomenal artists out there, male and female alike. I've, this year, I couldn't believe the quality. Um, and it's all readily available to purchase for would-be collectors. And when it. is that? Wow. That's the first three weekends of September. So the second, Saturday the 2nd is the first day it opens um we all do the weekends i'm doing a private view the day before because there's a lot of people want to put some red stickers on apparently (laughs) so i'm going to try and maximize that but it's 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 i think it's an amazing festival growing every year um it's funded by the local council subsidized um, and there's been a great team of people marketing it and and processing it so i'm I'm honored to be part of it and obviously because i did really well last year
3: (laughs) (laughs) oh of course
1: Um, And then hopefully, you know, off the back of that, I would like to find the gallery. And I've not really, you know, I've had gallery approaches, but I haven't really done anything with that. But I think this is a time now where I've got more time to to, develop. Um, I've got some big ideas on what I want to create that, um, you know, five times the scale of what I'm producing right now. So I'm very excited by all of that. All right
3: then, mate. Well, that's all my questions asked.
1: Okay, great. Thank you.
3: So thank you for your time and, and it's been an amazing story, and and yeah. I'm surprised you've come through it, mate. I'm I'm surprised. I, I nearly come
1: didn't. It. I nearly didn't. I okay. think um, we're born tough. Yeah,
3: you know, I, I, and I, I think all of us, Steve, are a lot tougher than than we think we are. It's only when you're faced with these challenges that you yeah. you know you realise that there's a lot we can pull out the tank. You know, we can we can dig
1: we can dig deep, and I think you know I had to learn. Yeah, um, and I got I got through it, and actually I got to thank my parents because you know if I would lived a normal life I'd probably be working in a bank in Belfast, bored out of my skull. Not that working in the bank was a bad thing, but you know what I mean. I, I the fact that I was driven away from home, and that they they were both narcissistic individuals just kind of helped me a little bit. Yeah. Um. I, you know I'm I'm you know obviously I've lost my my life partner.
3: Only the physical representation of her.
1: Yeah. No. She's very much um. Still here, still okay. involved. and um, We're going to do her book launch as well. So, well, you know, there's there's so much to look forward to, and I'm I'm happy, I'm contented. Um, I have my sons. I have, I've got two chihuahuas running around the house. <laughs>
3: deal, you know, yeah.
1: little things. Just to bring you back down to reality. They are great <laughs> lapdogs, They reduce your stress <laughs> levels. They're excellent. in the ass, but I love it. I'm I'm really happy. All right then,
3: my old mate. Well, I'll let you get back on with your day.
1: That's that's excellent. Really appreciate your time. Good. All, All right. the best,
3: Thank mate. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Good luck, mate. Hello, me again. I don't normally do an outro, but because of the subject of this podcast, I figured it'd be irresponsible of me not to. If you've been affected by anything covered in this episode and you don't feel comfortable speaking to a friend or family, there's a great organisation called My Black Dog who can be found at myblackdog.co. Or on Instagram itself, my black dog. The beauty of my black dog is you can even do it via text if you don't feel comfortable speaking to someone. But if you think your feelings are a little further advanced than that and you do actually need someone to speak to, then Samaritans is the one. You can call them toll-free on 116 123. All the very best. Ciao. If you've got an exhibition or any other creative project within the arts, or even just want to promote your own artwork, you could do that in podcast form similar to the one you've just listened to. They start at a convenient price point that is comfortable for any artist working on a budget. This podcast itself is created by working artists and we know how important that is. So to find out more information, you can email us on ministryofartsorg at gmail.com or on Instagram at Ministry of Arts
0: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for
2: plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.